0: And just like that, we're back. It is the Late Kick Extra Podcast. It's Tuesday morning. It is August 24th, which is the more important part, the year of our Lord 2021. And that's important because it means we are in a game week. Maybe week zero, but it's game week nonetheless. I have looked so forward to this. I know you guys have as well. And I really appreciate you being there, even over what those people on the outside call the offseason. Well, forget about that. Either way, we don't have to worry about people taking this game's name in vain for quite a while because it is the season. It's time to go. A lot of you have been asking, I'm not even going to treat this as a mailbag question. It's just a normal day-to-day question. A lot of you have been asking, hey, you keep talking about all this stuff that's coming with the show. You keep talking about all these things that are right around the corner. You keep telling us we need to follow those Late Kick Instagram and Twitter accounts, at Late Kick Josh. Well, what are we looking for specifically? Great question. Uh, Like a hundred of you have asked. So let me tell you, when are they coming? Some of those changes are coming as soon as this week. Some more will be coming next week. I think you'll really see it kick into gear when I'm on the road starting in week one. We'll be in, I can't tell you that quite yet. We'll tell you this Sunday, but that's going to be an every Sunday thing, which in and of itself is going to be one of the new changes we're making. I say all that to say this, they are coming. Uh, Obviously, we've been building up to the season with a lot of these elements. I think you're going to be very, very happy over the next couple of weeks with how many new elements we add to this overall brand. And here's the best part. Subtly, over the last several months to a little over a year now, I have asked you guys for your opinion on things, and it seemed like they were random. All the while, we were building towards the 2021 season. And a lot of my ideas that I had, you guys were kind of lukewarm on, so we threw them right out the window. We are only rolling with things that are our Late kick audience approved, so I don't really have to worry about whether you guys are going to like what we have in store because you're the ones who are responsible for it. Uh There is... I'll say as much as I can say right now. There are some things happening in Nashville that will very, very soon be made apparent. One of you, Kevin, actually asked me, is that what I think it is in your Instagram story? Yep. If you're thinking what I think you're thinking, Kevin, it probably is. Uh, if you don't know what he's talking about, you will see it soon enough. It does pay, though, to be following me on Instagram at LateKickJosh. Man, this chair is squeaky. It does pay to be following those social accounts. You do get a heads up. You get a little sneak peek. That's going to be ramped up tenfold when the season gets here. I'm telling you guys you're going to really love the kind of access I can give you is specifically on those social accounts. I can't always put it on the podcast or on the YouTube channel, but on those social accounts at late kick Josh, really imperative that you're following there. So let's dive into the mailbag and I'm going to weave some more little odds and ends, news and notes about the very near future of the show throughout the mailbag pod this morning. So we're going to start with coach Atchison who had a question last week. I couldn't fit it in. He said outside of this Georgia Clemson game, which team is best positioned to overcome an early season loss and still be a national title contender? I'm going to be a little more lenient with what we're going to call national title contenders. Let's just call anyone that's in the top 10 to 15 range for argument's sake, a national title contender. I really looked at that Wisconsin Penn State game in week one. Uh, that is a phenomenal matchup, by the way. I think both of those teams are positioned, if they get back up off the deck, if they lose a competitive game, let's say 27-24, both of them can get back up off the deck. Both of them have plenty, I mean more than plenty, games that are on their resume in the future to boost that resume. Just to give you an idea, I mean, Wisconsin's schedule, uh, let me reach over here. All right, there we go. Uh, Wisconsin's schedule, they play Notre Dame in Chicago, no less. They got Michigan at home. They've got Iowa at home. They would have a late-season date on the road at Minnesota, a game I think it's going to have a little, more, uh, a little more juice behind it than maybe you think at the beginning of the season. And then if they win, of course, the division, they would have the Big Ten championship game, presumably against Ohio State. We'll see, though. Penn State's got several games. I mean, I've almost memorized their schedule. So Penn State would have Auburn at home, and that's before Auburn has lost a single game. So they'd have that nice whiteout scene to secure a victory. If Penn State loses to Wisconsin, that game turns into a must-win game. You realize that? Week three for Penn State, must win. And then they'd have Indiana that comes in there. They would go to Iowa. Of course, they got the road trip to Ohio State. I think what that does, though, if Penn State loses to Wisconsin, it means they got to beat Ohio State. If they want a realistic shot at the playoff, it would mean they'd have to beat Ohio State. Not insurmountable, but very difficult. So I would say those two programs, I think Iowa State, they could afford to lose to Iowa, for example, because they know they have Oklahoma down the road, And if they were to beat the Sooners twice, that would mean they've beat them once in Norman and then again in the Big 12 championship game, again, in all likelihood. And they have beat a couple of other quality teams there, too. So I think they would be in. And a team that I think is very interesting here would be North Carolina. North Carolina goes to Virginia Tech in week one. We've seen teams stumble in that venue, actually. Ohio State comes to mind famously in the early portion of the season and go on to do big things. So what if North Carolina... Were to be minus three in turnovers, just some freak occurrences. They lose 33 to 31, and then they go on to win the rest of their games. They go to the ACC championship game. They look like a totally different team, and they beat Clemson. I don't think there's any doubt that North Carolina would be in the playoffs. So those are some teams I circle there. So I'm recording this in the 24-7, what I call the bomb shelter office right now. It's kind of a temporary office. And as I was scrolling through Twitter, I saw one of, our, one of our down-in-the-mouth Tennessee brethren before a game has even been played. He said, Josh, can you make me feel any better on your next mailbag? Well, absolutely, I can make you feel better, man. You live in the United States of America at the most prosperous time in the history of any country on the face of the earth, and you're drawing breath, and you woke up this morning, so that alone sets you well ahead of the curve. But then as we talk about football, hey, look, I understand Tennessee is not in that playoff conversation we just discussed. But I'm also a believer, Georgia Tech fits this description this year, I'm a believer that you can draw a lot of positives out of a season, South Carolina, same deal, you can draw a lot of positives out of a season and not be in the who's in conversation, not be in the bracket conversation. That's not what this sport is supposed to revolve around. So here's what I would say. What I would say is if you go in Neyland Stadium early in the year, like when Pitt comes in there, I think that's week two or week three, that's a competitive game, man. Pitt is not a bad team at all. And if you beat them, and that offense looks a lot better in doing so, here's what you at least know. You at least know if we're going to lose this year, we're not going to lose because we are totally incompetent and can't walk and chew gum at the same time offensively. At least we're pushing the ball. At least we're pushing teams. And if they outscore us, they outscore us. Everyone in Knoxville understands there's a little bit of a rebuild that has to happen. you got the whole, in my opinion, ridiculous NCAA cloud over the program right now. But I think at the very least... I would be excited to know if we go down this year, we're not going down with bullets in our chamber. We're going to fire everything we have. I think we can tell that's what Josh Heupel intends to do. So I would feel better about that. I hope, I hope that is medicine enough to get you through your Tuesday. Terry is next up this morning. Terry said, this may seem way off topic. That's impossible, Terry. But when you say you stack the show, what does that mean? And another question is, how does your teleprompter work when it seems like you go off script a great deal? Terry, we do have three teleprompters in our studio. I don't know that we've ever even turned them on. I think they've probably been turned on for another show. I've never even turned them on for late kick. I don't use a teleprompter. Even when I was back in Columbus, this is a true story. I used to get in trouble all the time because in the news world, when I was a news anchor, which I was in my former life, obviously you're using a teleprompter. Well, I work the morning shift. So that means you wake up at 315 AM. You get to the studio. Now obviously it takes me a long time to do hair. So I gotta dry my hair. And so once I dry my hair, in the other twenty-three hours and fifty-nine minutes of the day, I go about my business. So I would wake up at three fifteen, you get to the building about four fifteen. We're on air at five AM. Five AM to seven thirty AM. That gets old, Terry. Really quickly, it gets old. Cause then you go home. And you take a little nap from like, I don't know, 9 a.m. to noon, which is not enough. And so then you probably go to sleep at a normal time, 10 a.m., and wake up at about 1 or 2. So if you combine those, you're getting your seven hours of sleep, but it never feels like you're rested. So I'm not complaining about it. But what I am telling you as it relates to a prompter is to keep myself awake, I would go off prompter constantly. And then we get so mad at it. But I like ad living. I came from the radio world. Where we didn't really have scripts unless we were reading some ad copy, which is an advertisement, unless we were doing an on-air ad read, we didn't have a script. So scripts were boring. No one likes scripts. I want to go off script. So I would ad lib at the worst times. We would be reading a story about a triple homicide, and I'd just ad lib it. Not as a joke, but I would just ad lib it. And I certainly would ad lib the lighter hearted stories. And boy, production really loved that. You could hear him yelling in the headsets all the time. Where is he? Where are we? we don't even know where we are. Wipe to the sot. Take us the break. So when we got here, I told director Colin the first time we walked in and he was showing me where the prompters were. I said, Colin, you might as well worry about wiping the dust off these things every six months because they're going to collect dust because we're not using a prompter. So Terry, we don't use a prompter. I, I think I've made that pretty clear. The other thing is when I stack the show, when I say that, all I mean is figuratively putting everything in the show that has to be put there. Now, to get in the weeds a little bit, I'm not going too far down this rabbit hole because like 4% of you care about this. We have our own terminology for Late Kick. I kind of created it because of what we do here. I call what we do jazz-based production. I call a newscast symphonic-based production. A symphony, obviously, every note is written. In jazz, you know the beginning, you know the end, and you kind of make it up as you go in between. That is late kick. That's how we do it. That's why we don't let anyone else interfere with the show. We don't let anyone else touch it because when you bring someone else in here who's come from a more structured environment, it freaks them out. They have panic attacks because they they look at a sheet. They're supposed to have a rundown in front of them, and it just says kind of, all right, we're going to go off the air in about 45 minutes. Let's have some fun, and it, it really freaks them out. So anyway, what I mean when I say stack the show is getting the elements, uh, the lower thirds. We need to get any pre-reads we want in there. We need to get any SOTS, which is just a sound bite, sound on tape is what that stands for. We need to get the VO and the B-roll, which is the video that rolls sometimes when I'm talking in order. That's stacking a show. It's very, very simple for our purposes. It is a full day's duty if you're in the news world or you know if you're doing a sports center Broadcast That is a full-time job for multiple people. But it's just simple television terminology, radio terminology. That's all that is. It's not a bad question, though, Terry, because I say it all the time. I don't even catch myself half the time. Swamp Thing, up next, if you had to pick one team on Bama's regular season schedule to pull off an upset, who would it be? Texas A&M, Florida, or Ole Miss? Well, I'd go Texas a and I think people believe since that one's the obvious one, that's not the one to go with. I think it's the toughest game on their schedule. I think by the time we get there, if it were week one, I may feel different. But I may still not feel different. But it's, it's in week six, I think. So, so Haynes King, whatever he's going to be, whatever that a and offense is going to be, which I think is going to be a, a pretty good product, it's going to be there by that point. And I cannot overstate enough how incredible that atmosphere is going to be. It's a nighttime game. It's the first time since Jimbo's been there, maybe outside of that Clemson matchup, where the entire focus of the college football world will be on College Station. Think about that. Think about what it does for the atmosphere. And then think about how many young guys, how many first-year guys Bama's taking on the road. Now, it won't be the first time they're in a hostile road environment. They are oh, a neutral site in week one, but they're going to the swamp in week three. So it's not like they won't be prepared. But as I've told you in vivid detail, there's only so much you can do to prepare for some of these big stadium road environments. It's just you got to deal with it. And so I think that when you have, if you've ever watched AM on the field, like in person, I've said this for two years now. They are as physically as impressive as about any team in the country. I've seen all the big teams up close. And AM, when they get off the bus, if I put Bama jerseys on them, they would pass for Alabama. Like if I put Ohio State jerseys on them, they'd pass for Ohio State. They have lacked explosive elements of the offense that are necessary to really scare you. Athletically, they have matched up. Talk to Bama coaches; they'll tell you they've matched up. They just they can't put you away. They can't hang with you through four quarters because they hadn't had the quarterback. I don't know if Haynes King's going to be that, but I also I don't think Alabama's going to have an offense that quite compares to what they've had the last couple of years. So I don't know what kind of effort it's going to take to beat them. Maybe the home field factor plus what A is going to have by that point, maybe it'll be enough. I certainly think defensively, though, they play a complementary style that's really going to have them in a position where if everything were to go right there, they absolutely could beat Bama this year. Let's roll on on this Tuesday morning. Let's hit Samar's question. This one's interesting. If Jim Harbaugh is let go by Michigan and they try to hire Matt Campbell from Iowa State and he makes the same demands that Kirby Smart did before he went to Georgia about winning, would the University of Michigan acquiesce? Rare word there for this podcast. Would they acquiesce to his demands? Uh, A lot of you know what Samar means there. If you don't, it's not like it's ever been said publicly, but it's pretty widely known. When Georgia interviewed Kirby Smart for the job, he basically looked him in the eye and he said, you've got to be all in for me to take this job and do what you want me to do, which is pretty much compete with Alabama. Be one of the best, if not the best programs in America. And Georgia kind of responded by saying, we are all in. We love football. We're fully committed. So then Kirby essentially just pulls a list out of his back pocket and says, Well, how many support staffers do you have? How many analyst roles do you have? Let me see your recruiting budget. Let me see your nutrition budget. Let me see what your plans are for year over year facility enhancements. And since he was in a unique position coming from Bama, he could take their list and he could A, B compare it to Bama's list. And he could say, All right, now guys, I want you to look at the comparison here and you tell me blind resume time. Which program looks like they're more serious about football? And of course, it was Bama by a country mile. Now, Kirby said, you can do what you want to do, but don't expect me to come in here and compete with the guy over in Tuscaloosa if you're not going to give me what he has. So Georgia did the prudent thing. They said, it's time for us to walk the walk. We've talked it. Now we got to walk the walk. And they have. They have acquiesced, as you said, to his demands. And they've got the biggest recruiting budget in the country now. That was not always the case. They've got an army of off-field analysts. That wasn't always the case. Facilities are constantly being upgraded there. They just, they've bought in fully. They they actually do now what they thought they were doing when Richt was there. And that's a whole nother side road I'm not going to go down. It always aggravated me that people were so critical of Mark Richt, not knowing he had one hand tied behind his back behind the scenes. You just figure it's the University of Georgia. They're all in. No, they weren't. They thought they were. Now they actually are all in. Would that happen at Michigan? If Matt Campbell walked in there and he asked for all that, would he get it? My answer is no. I don't think he would. I do not think that there are enough people around the University of Michigan in decision-making positions that would sign off on that. They would view it as almost an insult. They would view it as degrading the overall integrity of that brand and what it stands for in valuing athletics in relation to academics. I think that for better or for worse, That is the way that the University of Michigan decides to operate. I think because of that, there is a wide gap between the way Michigan operates and the way Ohio State operates. And so I certainly do not believe if Matt Campbell walked in there and asked for Georgia acquiescence that he would get it. I do not believe that. Doesn't mean he couldn't win because he doesn't have what Georgia has at Iowa State right now. You know, So maybe Matt Campbell wouldn't walk in with those demands. In fact, maybe, among other reasons, Matt Campbell would be so attractive for Michigan Because he's a guy who doesn't walk in and say, you need to triple your recruiting budget, and you need to let me hire 47 other folks, and we need to completely overhaul everything that is Michigan football. Maybe that's what makes him so attractive. Because they could look and say, Matt, what are you asking us for all this extra stuff for? You didn't have it at Iowa State, and you won there. So you're going to get better players here. You're already going to have better versions of what you had at Iowa State without us even bending over any for you. It's just already here. It was here before you got here. Why are you asking for so much more? Maybe that's what would be attractive to them. Of course, one thing we don't know on the other side is we don't know what Matt Campbell would ask for. We don't know that he may not be perched in in Ames, Iowa right now and telling his agent, if I ever leave here, this is the package I would leave here for. Here's the list of programs and here's the package I would leave here for. And if someone's not going to check every one of these boxes, I'm staying put. That could be the case. It also could be the case, and this is selfishly what I hope to be true, it also could be the case that Matt Campbell's just happy where he is. And he's not looking to move everywhere. See, we think it's just common sense that there's no way a guy could plant roots in Ames, Iowa when he has such an in-demand profile about himself. Well, that's only that's only true 98% of the time. Maybe we're looking at a two percenter here. I'm not going to fault him either way. Uh, you know I, I love Iowa State, so I hope he stays there forever. But I think I think that it would be misguided to believe, let's take a generic candidate. If a generic candidate, if Michigan tried to hire me and I was qualified and I told them, you got to give me what Kirby's got at Georgia, I think we'd shake hands and go our separate ways because there is no way. I think that there would just be an impasse. There's no way they could meet me on that. I don't think they'd be willing to do it. How about this question from Sean? This one's going to go a different way than I think Sean believed it would. Sean said, something I'm thinking about with the one-time transfer rule Do you think programs, especially upper tier programs, could lose a bunch of walk-ons who almost treat the walk-on program like JUCO, only to leave after a year or two of development? Sean, I get what you're asking here, but what if I told you the opposite was happening? What if I told you that a lot of guys you have seen transfer to bigger programs this past offseason? What if I told you what looks like a scholarship player is not always a scholarship player? What if I told you that guys are working this in reverse and they're going on scholarship for a couple of years to a lower tier school, maybe even a power five, but a lower tier power five, and then they're transferring to maybe the next rung up the ladder on the whole pecking order of college football? And it looks to the public like they're just going from scholarship here to scholarship there. But what if they're taking some money they've saved up, or maybe their family's well enough off, or in the future, Maybe they've made enough money off NIL here and there that they can afford to pay their own way and they can be a walk-on. See, you don't always know who's on scholarship and who's not. So, Sean, what if I told you it could actually work in reverse? These spots on major Power 5 rosters could be so valuable, guys are willing to pay their own way. As long as publicly it looks like they're on scholarship, and I'm telling you with certainty this is happening right now, right before your eyes, in plain view, you just can't tell who's on Scully and who's not. As long as the public doesn't find out, and therefore as long as you don't really get embarrassed, a lot of guys are willing to do it. You'd be surprised, I think, at how many are willing to do that. I've I've got to move on here. I'm gonna do something. It's gonna it's gonna be negative, but we're gonna make a positive out of it. We've got to dive into the podcast review section, because there was a negative review left, and we've got to address it. It's ridiculous, but we're going to address it in the calm manner that only we can on this show. I'm going to need your help, though, because otherwise it could go off the rails quickly. We'll do it right after this.
1: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
0: This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. And we're back. Now, I want to preface. I don't get bothered by this stuff. I mean, if you're not getting hate mail, you are really not making all that big a dent in this industry. So I take this in stride. But sometimes what aggravates me is not when someone says, you suck, I can't stand you. That's fine. But when someone tells me they're tuning out of the show or they're leaving a one star review and then their reasons are so logically flawed, it makes my head hurt that's what's kind of aggravating. So I go into the podcast review because I'm reading the feedback that you guys give. Sometimes you put questions there. And what I'm talking about, if you don't know, especially an Apple podcast, you can leave star reviews. So we are right now at ooh 1,698 five star reviews. There's no reason this shouldn't be over 1,700. In fact, there's no reason this shouldn't be 2,000 before the season starts. So grab five of your friends' phones, find the Late Kick podcast. If you've already done it yourself, give us a five star review. So we got a one star review here. Now, if that's it's your prerogative, if you don't like the podcast, give it a one-star review. That's fine. It's not fine. It hurts me terribly, but that is your prerogative. But here's the written review. <clears throat> I enjoyed the first year of the show, but Pate has increasingly focused on only SEC a majority of the time. He can't stop raving about how amazing and better this conference is. Apparently, the listeners drive the show, but it's clear he is very selective in choosing the questions and topics brought up by the listeners. Be better, dude. We know Bama is good. Stop giving the SEC a reach around just because you're a homer. Uh, to this person's credit, he did spell it Y-O-U-R-E. So at least we got that going for us. Um, I'm not selective on the mailbag. I answer virtually every question that comes in. The only time I don't answer questions is if we literally don't have room for them all. And there is no SEC filtration process that happens in which I keep all the SEC questions and I filter out the rest. Um, I think a lot of you are already picking up logically on how ridiculous this is. But if you're not picking up on it, what this dude could have done literally with this review is he could have given me a non-SEC question to answer. I know this is going to shock you. I have never gotten a question submitted by this guy. Instead, he complained in what is a total wall-to-wall mailbag format about me not talking about stuff that he once talked about, even as he could have taken the opportunity to ask me to talk about it. So uh, this is not an SEC podcast. It absolutely is driven by the audience, though. You guys, a majority of the time, are asking SEC-related questions. I'm not going to square peg round hole this thing. I'm going to talk about what you want to talk about. The show that I can talk about what I want to talk about on is Late Kick Live. Now, it still stands to reason it's going to be based on what you want to talk about. Otherwise, you wouldn't watch the show and would be off the air. But this one right here, these Tuesday and Thursday mailbags, it is totally... In your hands, what we talk about. That is intentionally the way I formatted it. And if you want to see evidence of it, submit a non SEC question and see what happens. I mean, we've already had some in this podcast. Uh, Let's roll on here. I I mean, I'm, I know I sound a little salty. I'm really not. I just wanted to throw that in there because a lot of you find it very entertaining for some reason to watch me squirm in this chair, which is already very squeaky. I don't know if you can hear that or not. But yeah, a lot of you get a lot of enjoyment out of me reading my own hate mail. So there you go. Hope again, I made your Tuesday just a little bit better there. Ben, up next. I think you're decently high on the direction of North Carolina and Texas A&M. If Mac Brown wins a national championship at North Carolina, where does he fall on the all-time list? Likewise, if Jimbo wins one at A&M, what do you think his legacy is? These are good questions because both of them, if they win titles at their current stop, would be coaches much like Nick Saban, who have won national championships at multiple stops. Urban Meyer did it. There are not many coaches who have done it. And certainly active. I mean, there aren't many active coaches who have won titles, period. If Mac Brown did it, I think it would be, it would almost be a different kind of chapter because he did not go to a traditional power and he also took time off. Mac Brown was in a studio for a while. I think most of us thought his coaching career was over. I was certain of it. I would have bet money on that. He wins a title at Texas. We all remember how it ended at Texas. And think about how much against the general grain this story went. Mac Brown is an older coach in his latter years at Texas. He was an older coach relative to some of the really young guys out there. And so think about how this normally goes. Coach wins a championship, but then you see a precipitous decline, which normally means, well, the game's kind of passing this older guy by. So let's salute him. Let's clap for him. Let's respect him, but let's send him off into the sunset. Well, they did that at Texas. And then Mac Brown did exactly what an older coach would do. He went into the commentator's booth. He went into the studio and looks like he's enjoying retirement. And then all of a sudden he's the head coach at North Carolina. And there were some snickers when they hired him. And dude, right off the bat, they've started to turn that program around. If they were to go on this year or any year to win a national championship, that'd be one of the better stories you could write in college football. And I think it would also give a lot of hope to some guys who had maybe, whenever this title is won, let's say it's the year 2025, to some guys that have maybe retired and they've been in retirement for a few years, it may give hope to them. And what it also does in the coaching profession is it creates a new data point where if I were to interview for a job, previously an athletic director may have been said, there's really no precedent for bringing a coach back who's been out this long. I mean, where am I supposed to look? How am I going to sell this to the board? Well, then all of a sudden you say, well, show them what Mac Brown did. So it would be a game changer there. For Jimbo, I said the other day on Late Kick Live, I don't think his legacy has been written. And that's very rare, albeit almost unprecedented to say about a guy who's already won a national championship. But Jimbo won one at Florida State, but I think he has still got his biggest legacy pieces potentially in front of him. Like the question says here, if Jimbo were to win a national championship at Texas A&M, that's not like if if Ed Orgeron goes into LSU and wins a title there, which he did in 2019. I mean, it was special, but they had already won two of them in the 2000s. Texas A&M, they got nothing over there. They got nothing in terms of national titles in that trophy case, and so that would be historic. It would be it would take Jimbo Fisher and whatever your Texas A&M Mount Rushmore is. It would immediately put him smack dab in the middle of that thing. I know that typically you want a guy to have been there longer. But I don't care about length of time he's been there. I care about what you accomplish. And if he brings a national championship to College Station, I mean, not only that, but think about how you could be well on your way to creating a new superpower brand in college football. I already view Texas A&M that way, but I get a lot of pushback because a lot of you, and I kind of get this, a lot of you think that you have to have at least one, if not multiple titles to be labeled a superpower. That's not the way I always look at it, but I do get people who do look at it that way. What I look at it from the lens of is, what are you capable of? Texas A&M's capable of, of winning national championships right now. Like if I put, if I put, um, Nick Saban in college station, Texas, they'd immediately be winning national championships or be right there. Well, the point there is it's not the job that's been holding them down. It, it hasn't been for a while. I don't think. I think, I don't think A&M's had an investment problem kind of like what we were talking about with Georgia. I think those folks have been all in. They haven't had the right head coach out there. Like Kevin Sumlin was guilty of highway robbery with the paycheck he was taking from them for a while. Well, I think they got this hire right. And $75 million goes to show you how serious they are about it. And they've hired Jimbo and invested and invested and invested. If he wins a championship there, boy, number one, it validates and it gives them a return on their investment. And number two, It really sends a signal that Texas A&M is now one of the premier brands in this sport and none of you, even the last remaining holdouts who are out there, none of you can deny that now. And with that, I wanted to bring something to your attention. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about Spence Dalton. That is an Oconee County, Georgia first responder who was working some tree damage after some recent storms up there and he got hit by a car. And they ended up getting the guy because he sped away. They got the guy who hit him. But Spence Dalton was in a bad way. I mean, he had medical bills as as high as Brasstown Ball, to use a local geographical reference there in Northeast Georgia. And so I put it out there, and I told you guys how you can help. And it was so overwhelming. The family was overwhelmed. I I wasn't overwhelmed, to be blatantly honest, because I knew you guys would come through. You've already done it one time before with the Gulf Coast hurricane victims. But I wanted to just kind of circle back around now, now that that's over, and tell you, boy, from the bottom of my heart, and especially from the bottom of that family's heart, I really appreciated that, and they really appreciated that. It is one of the things that makes our show very unique, and I don't abuse it at all, but I know if someone out there really needs it, someone as part of our family needs it, hey, it's no different than church on Sunday. You shouldn't have to ask twice. You got your family there to help you out, so thank you for circling the wagons there and helping Spence Dalton and his family because they were very, very badly in need. Uh, Relatively speaking, I'm not. All I need to do is go put a show together. So we got it easy here. I appreciate so much, so, so much, more than you can ever imagine, letting me do this for a living. I was thinking when I was driving in here, (laughs) I've been working about 14 hours and counting right now. I'm recording this on Monday night, and it feels like vacation, which is wild. I get texts sometimes from like my mom, and she'll say, you work too hard. Well, it's only if you consider it work. I mean, what am I doing? I'm just sitting here talking about college football, which is what I would be doing at a normal job anyway. I remember the Fabric Warehouse. I remember all we did every day to pass the time talking about college football. This is not work. This is like vacation all the time. It's great. It is wonderful. I appreciate so much you guys uh, letting me do this. It's never set in. I don't think it ever will that I get to do this for a living. So I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for making this show yours. And now, because you've done that you get to see what it's about to become. And that's going to be really fun. So from me to you, thank you, thank you, thank you, forever, thank you. All right, we got to get out of here. Five-star reviews for the podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and tell 15 of your friends about this show. Thank you so much. For Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great Tuesday and God bless.
1: Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.